Here's a message from today's episode sponsor. My name's Steve Mackey. I'm the owner pharmacist at Spruce Mountain Pharmacy in Jay. We're in the Western Mountains of Maine. We're about an hour and a half northwest of Portland. We're a hybrid pharmacy, so we're offering traditional retail pharmacy services plus compounding. We're using the Computer Rx software here to make us kind of unique in the market. We use the uh, Rx Safe Rapid Pack script packaging program and hardware to make compliance packaging available for our patients who choose to have that as a service that we offer. When we brought the Rapid Pack Fill Packer into the system, we brought that in the same time we moved to the new building. And I remember seeing the machine roll in and I was over the moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pill packing machine is here. I am so excited for this. That pill packing system has been a growth point of my pharmacy. To learn more about how the RX Safe Rapid Pack system can help improve your pharmacy's efficiency and revenue, visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Podcast listeners, hey, thank you so much for what you do for our nation. On this 4th of July, this is our special 4th of July episode, and I wanted to give a shout out to our pharmacists, to our technicians, how hard you're working, the burnout that you're going through. We know about it. We want to support you. Use this podcast platform if you have something that you want to say. Let's talk. See how I can help amplify your voice. Happy 4th of July. Have a wonderful, safe holiday. Spend time with friends and family and just relax and give yourself a break. But thank you so much for everything you're doing for our nation. Our nation is hurting right now and we need providers to step up. And that's exactly what our pharmacists are doing. And you are my heroes. And I think so much of you and I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Happy 4th of July. special opportunity today in interviewing someone that has been deemed and called the disease detective uh, from a previous write-up in the Georgia State University magazine and I have been looking for pharmacists that cross multiple pathways into what careers can be developed for other pharmacists so if you're listening today and you're interested in in service you're interested possibly in the military or even working with the Uh, CDC, this podcast is definitely for you. I would like to introduce uh, to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, Dr. Jennifer Lind, uh, PharmD, medication expert, medication safety expert. She considers herself a public health champion, and she definitely is. Uh, Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast, uh, Dr. Lind. Thanks for having me, Todd. I'm excited to be here. I also want you to kind of expand right out of the gate how you're working 
with the CDC and what your position is within the military as well. Sure. So um, thanks again for having me. Like I said, so I am a pharmacist with the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps, and then I'm also currently assigned to CDC. Um, so here at CDC, there are about 45 pharmacists who work in a variety of different roles, such as antibiotic stewardship, infection control, medication safety, um, substance use and pregnancy, injury prevention, diabetes, regulatory affairs, and that's just to name a few. For me personally, I'm actually, like I said, stationed within the medication safety program. And my work primarily um, focuses on reducing harms from use of medications. And then I also serve as a lead pharmacist for the PROTECT initiative. And what that is, is an innovative public-private partnership that uses a collaborative data-driven approach to reduce harms from unintentional medication overdoses in children. That's Fantastic. Our favorite providers, my favorite providers are all pharmacists. And what they do is very intricate to continuing treatments, moving things forward, and the explosive impact, which has been very positive of what we went through with this pandemic. And I kind of would thought, boy, if I get an opportunity to talk with the CDC and someone on their team, a pharmacist on their team, you know, what would I want to talk about? So first thing, and I just think that best places to go is the organizations that really helped to set some standards to get us through emergency situations. And this pandemic was something that none of us had ever experienced in our lifetime. So the pandemic's impact on vaccine distribution through pharmacy. Can you give our uh, listeners your insights and, and how the CDC worked with pharmacies throughout the nation? Absolutely, absolutely. Pharmacies and pharmacists are readily accessible in communities with most Americans living within five miles of a pharmacy. And so CDC and the federal government recognized this and decided to make them a key part of the COVID-19 vaccination strategy. And so what they really went about doing is increasing the number of places where people can get vaccinated that will help ensure more people get protected and ultimately hopefully help in this pandemic. And so the federal retail pharmacy program is a public-private partnership between the federal government states and territories and 21 national pharmacy partners and independent pharmacy networks nationwide. And this includes more than 41,000 pharmacy locations nationwide, including long-term care pharmacies. Um, and then as of June 23rd um, of 2022, we've actually had more than 256.3 million doses that have been administered and reported by retail pharmacies across the pro um, programs in the U.S. And so definitely a key partner and a key part of addressing this pandemic. So I wanted to talk to you and really ask the question, because I'm sure that there are pharmacists out there listening right now that are also curious about this. Also, our technicians give a, a, a high five to our technicians, the right hand of our pharmacist. Absolutely. So the CDC focused, obviously, on the United States, but you probably get an opportunity to listen to other policymakers and pharmacists, even with other um other organizations throughout the world, uh, which is kind of exciting. Has some of your experiences, some of what you've suggested to the CDC team that you're uh, connected into, have you looked at how the pandemic um, and vaccine roll rollouts in other parts of the world have been favorable versus other areas that have not? Where do you think the United States kind of sets within vaccine rollout at this point? 
So um, one caveat is I have not been working directly with the vaccine task force um, that's focused on the COVID response, the, the vaccination program. I have been involved in the COVID-19 response, but there are different task forces within um, the response that are handling and touching on just about every area, including the global aspect. And so we definitely have individuals who are having those conversations and are looking at the distribution and the needs um, related to the response in the international and the global field. I can't really speak to that personally, but I definitely know those conversations are being had. There is a program that I'm very proud of because it's being led by uh, pharmacists and physicians together. That collaboration is so key, not only for general treatment of just about any condition or disease state, but specifically for kids. I'm a father of, of four daughters. So when I think of the prevention of overdoses and treatment errors and children's task force, that really interests me. Can you kind of tell our listeners about PROTECT, uh, the PROTECT initiative? Absolutely, absolutely. So CDC's medication safety program, we work to reduce harms from the use of medications in the United States. And we do this by tracking adverse drug events nationally. And we use these data to improve medication safety through targeted collaborative interventions. And so one of those interventions is actually the CDC-led Prevention of Overdoses and Treatment Errors in Children Task Force Initiative, also known as the PROTECT Initiative. And one of the things that we found through PROTECT and from doing our surveillance is that unintended medication overdoses actually lead to approximately 40 to 50,000 emergency department visits by children less than five years of age each year. And so what the PROTECT initiative is, is it's a collaborative data-driven three-pronged approach. And we're focused on packaging improvements, error prevention, and education on safe medication use and storage to keep children safe from unintentional medication overdoses. And to do this, we bring together public health agencies, private sector companies, professional organizations, consumer patient advocates and academic experts all to the table to develop strategies to keep children safe from unintentional medication overdoses. Yeah, the American Pharmacists Association, APHA, is one of your partners. So that's incredible. Absolutely. Pharmacists Absolutely. are baked into, the, into that cake. So that's terrific. So what do you say to pharmacists listening with regards to keeping our children safe? Um, there are really some fancy, you know, packaging technologies, there's even cap technologies that have come out. But just in general, what do you say to them to kind of uh, keep them up to date uh, when you're talking to groups of pharmacists or pharmacy um, uh, administrators um, about drug safety in children? Absolutely. So from the, I guess, patient caregiver aspect, and so for pharmacists and pharmacies who are, you know, of course, dispensing medications to um, caregivers and parents, the biggest thing is making sure they're keeping their medications up and away and out of sight and reach of young children. And so as a part of the PROTECT initiative, we have a whole educational campaign around that. And information about that can be found at upandaway.org. And there we have all types of resources and information for parents and caregivers to help remind them that of that. We also have um, touch points throughout the year, seasonal reminders. So like around Halloween, sometimes we'll have something around candy confusion and making sure we're educating parents and reminding them that sometimes pills can look like candy. And so to make sure you're storing them up and away and out of sight and reach. Um, also in terms, another area that uh, pharmacies and pharmacists can play a very key role in is related to um, error prevention. And so um, in terms of dispensing medications, especially oral liquid medications, medications. Um, one of the things that has been developed and there's been a big push for is flow restrictors. And so putting um, flow restrictors
restrictors in bottles where they're liquid medications, and that helps reduce the amount of medication. You know, if a child were to get it, it also helps, you know, kind of put a mechanical intervention in there so that the child is less likely to overdose or get large amounts of the medication. So for pharmacies that are dispensing liquid medications, having flow restrictors or including flow restrictors can help, you know, prevent those unintentional um, ingestions. Also making sure that you're dispensing liquid medications with a syringe or a dosing cup, you know, that's appropriate for the dosage. Um, because we know, you know, in the old days, people would just use teaspoons or spoons and things like that. But we know those are not uniform in their sizes. And there can be um, issues with underdosing or overdosing of children when you're not using the appropriate device. And so just making sure that we're giving um, whenever a liquid medication is dispensed to a patient, making sure the pharmacists or pharmacies are dispensing and counseling um, the parents to use a device that comes with it that's appropriate for the dose um, of the medication that's given so that they're not also having to say um, drop several times. So if the dosage is five milliliters, making sure that they're giving a five milliliter syringe, you know, not necessarily a 2.5 where they would have to, you know, drop the medication twice because then that increases the likelihood of errors. And so those are the types of things um, that we focus on within the protective initiative and that we try and get information out to uh, providers as well as parents about. And so that is a great opportunity for pharmacists to get involved, you know, in making sure that they're counseling their patients and doing those types of things. Yeah, Dr. Lind, all my medication when I was growing up was all by that teaspoon. And sometimes it was a big teaspoon. Sometimes it was the small one. So, so who who knows? But, but, but what I survived. So it's like so also the seatbelt laws have changed since then, too. So Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. And then to that point, you know, that is another kind of area that pharmacists can play a role in and just making sure that they're putting metric units on the label when they're dismissing medication. So using milliliters and saying 2.5 milliliters or five milliliters versus teaspoons or tablespoons, because then that again increases the likelihood for confusion and error dosing down the road. So using that milliliters that goes along and matches with the units on the device that they're dispensing. That is a really good point. Absolutely. So there was a melatonin poison uh, case, which uh, was brought up by U.S. News. Um, can you kind of touch on that? That was really surprising to me when I read about that. Um, and that is, you know, mel I even have taken melatonin in the past. There, we buy these little five or ten uh, milligram tablets, and they taste almost like um, uh, like grape, uh, such flavoring. And I can imagine if my grandson got into that, that could really cause a major issue. But can you talk to us about that specific, um, that specific case and, and what the CDC had to say about that? Right. So that was a recent publication in the MMWR. Um, our group was actually not involved in writing that, but, you know, it does bring up a great point, again, about unsupervised medication exposures. And again, the importance of making sure that parents are putting medications up and away and out of sight, not just the prescription medications, but also over-the-counter medications and supplements as well. I think sometimes, you know, the perception can be that, oh, this isn't a prescription medication. So, you know, I don't necessarily have to be as cautious with it. Um, but I think this 
just really goes to show that it's important to make sure that people are remembering and keeping top of mind that anything, you know, in large doses could potentially be harmful. And so to make sure you're putting it up and away and out of sight, and that includes supplements such as, you know, melatonin as well. Um, and then it's definitely, you know, this study was a great introduction into it and definitely an area for further research to look at, to see um, how big and how widespread the problem really is. But, you know, that, that uh, it really shines the light on, again, the importance of making sure we're having those conversations with parents and caregivers and reminding them that they keep things up in a way, um, even if they, they think it may be harm or if there's no, you know, child safety on the, the bottle as well, because sometimes with vitamins and supplements, they may not have that, um, the child resistant closures on them. Um, so making sure that things are in child resistant uh, packaging and then also making sure that it's up and away. When I worked with, um, there were 82 centers throughout the country uh, through a, con a company called New Season, which focused on um, medication-assisted treatment. And one of the guidelines given to all of the parents was, number one, sometimes their medication um, was sent home, and then also the medicine cabinet and how many medicines, pain relievers, um, even certain prescriptions that people forget about in their medicine cabinet. And then your 11, 12, your teen starts getting curious and starts wondering, well, what, the, what would this do if I took it? And we saw that there was studies in uh, medication pain management and how uh, drug addiction took place because no one was paying attention to what's left over in my medicine cabinet. So those take back drug, your, your drugs days that are usually coordinated um, by state and and reaching out to your community pharmacies to find out when those days are happening. That's so, it's just so important. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know FDA has definitely been putting out a lot of information about that, um, as well as, you know, the DEA also is often a partner with those drug take back days and very important in terms of getting um, medications that are no longer used or no longer needed out of the house to decrease the risk of, you know, like you said, misuse and abuse. So let's talk about adverse drug event surveillance. Could you tell me what that means and also how the CDC is working with pharmacists throughout the nation um, within those programs? Absolutely. So adverse drug events are harms resulting from um, the use of medications in, that includes allergic reactions, side effects, uh, over medication or medication errors. And so the CDC medication safety program actually monitors adverse drug events across the country. And we use these data to improve medication safety through better partnership and policies. Um, and so recently our, we're more likely to be focused on short-term severe harms that result from medicine use outside of hospital settings. But it's actually estimated that more than 1 million individuals are seen in hospital emergency departments for adverse drug events each year in the US. And over one quarter of these um, patients need to be hospitalized for further treatment. And so some of the kind of medications that are um, overall more likely to be implicated would be your anticoagulants or blood thinners, uh, antibiotics, diabetes drugs, and then opioid analgesics uh, tend to be the most commonly implicated drug classes for the emergency department visits. And so that is what our program primarily does. We monitor these events. We um, work with uh, and collaborate with the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, or CPSC, um, as well as the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, uh, FDA, and we conduct active nationally representative public health surveillance uh, for emergency department visits that have been attributed to medication use. 
the CDC's website has some amazing uh, statistics as well as some PDFs that everyone could take time to read and download. I'm going to have a link in our show notes to the adverse drug events in adults page on the CDC's website because I think that's really good information. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for that. So let's talk about the future of pharmacy. I've been in pharmacy now since 2004. I entered in the space of technology for institutional and long-term care pharmacy systems and knew nothing about pharmacy or pharmacists. I thought just like some of our public that has misconceptions that they were uh, white coats and they stood behind the counter and they counted my pills. And I knew there was something about safety. I wasn't so naive to not know that they were um, that they were there for safety. But now my eyes have been opened um, over the last uh, 18, 20 years to what pharmacists are actually capable of doing. It absolutely amazes me. From your opinion and how long you've been in uh, pharmacy as well as with the CDC, where do you see the, the, the future opportunities for pharmacists going? Absolutely. So, I mean, the great thing about pharmacists is that we bring a unique perspective and medication expertise to the table. So just as pharmacists are key members of healthcare teams, we're also key members of agencies and programs that we work for. And so, you know, we mentioned briefly in the beginning that I'm a pharmacist in the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. Um, and so that's kind of one of the little known secrets. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily know about that, but that's another opportunity for pharmacists as well. Um, we're one of the eight uniform services we're the only one that's dedicated solely to protecting and advancing America's public health. Um, and so as America's health responders, we are actually the first in line to defend our nation's public health against threats large and small. And so um, it's definitely an opportunity in a way for pharmacists to get involved. We are in different agencies all over you know, the country. And so um, definitely a way to whether if you want to do direct clinical care, there's the Indian Health Services, there's the Bureau of Prisons, but then you also have pharmacists who are represented at FDA and CDC as I am as well. And so we work throughout the federal government to provide essential health care services to underserved and vulnerable populations. We deploy for public health and global emergencies like COVID-19. Also, we were heavily involved in the Ebola epidemic as well. Uh, we lead public health programs and policy development and also advance innovation science. And so in terms of the future of public health, um, not only do I hope there's more you know, visibility and understanding about the Commission Corps and the opportunity that it presents for pharmacists. Um, but also, too, I see uh, pharmacists working in more non-traditional roles. Like I said, our skill sets are very varied. We have expertise that touch on just about every area of healthcare. Um, and so I definitely think you'll probably see moving forward pharmacists working in areas that were maybe in the past considered non-traditional. And there may be opportunities and pathways where people are working in areas that haven't even been um, pharmacists have not worked in there before. And so I definitely encourage students and things like that. If there's an area you're interested in, if there's something that you bring, you, uh, you feel you bring expertise to the table with, go for it. You may be the first to do it. Just because a pharmacist hasn't done it before doesn't mean that you can't do it. And so that's definitely something that I like to put out there. But if anybody's interested in learning more um, about the Commission Corps, they can definitely um, go to usphs.gov uh, for more information about that. I'm going to have a link to that um, site as well. You know, there's something special about people that I've met, um, obviously biased to pharmacists, but even physicians, um, nurses that have been mission-based versus them thinking that it's just a job and they're going to show up and punch their clock and go to work. 
You have been mission-based from the beginning. Um, you took it personally in 2012 when you took your position with the CDC that it wasn't just a job. And you said that it was a privilege and a responsibility to protect health um, in our nation and then also our global population of what you could be doing to do that. And that's what brings a smile to my face because I feel the same way. I feel my mission is to elevate the voices of our pharmacists and you're actually out there doing the, the work and protecting our public. So I, I give you a, a, a chest bump uh, there and, and just say, I'm so proud of what you're doing and representation of not only pharmacists, but the United States, um, you know, services and the CDC as well. So I just want to give you a, a big hurrah and thank you for, for your work and, and what you've done um, in, in pharmacy and in healthcare too. Thank you so much. It truly, truly, truly is an honor to serve. Um, and I really do mean that. So, so thank you. I appreciate it. And pharmacists listening, this is a career path. So if you are a pharmacy student listening right now, um, I'm going to put in our show notes uh, to LinkedIn um, the the profile of Dr. Lind and, and, and reach out, ask questions. If you're a student pharmacist and you're interested in, in uh, public health and you're interested in this division of, of the United States health healthcare systems that are, that are there in place. And I think that, like you said, I didn't know about it until talking with you, Dr. Lind. So I think this is a really interesting division within uh, healthcare and it's, we need more pharmacists there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And another pathway just for students that may be listening or um, early career pharmacists who may be looking for another pathway into public health, there's also the Epidemic Intelligence Service. So you mentioned, you know, I started my career in public health in 2012, and that was as an Epidemic Intelligence Service Officer or disease detective. That's where that kind of comes from. And it's a two-year applied epidemiology training program. And pharmacists have been few and far between. I was number seven out of eight uh, since the program started. Uh, in 1951. But, I, you know, I'm proud to say that as of 2021, that class had four pharmacists in it. Um, and I believe there's at least one pharmacist in the incoming EIS, EIS class as well. And so definitely um, an area where pharmacists are starting to uh, get involved in more. And I would love to see more pharmacists get involved because it is a great opportunity um, for someone who is interested in epidemiology, um, diseases, uh, infection control, you, know, you name it, uh, to get involved into public health. Well, I thank you from the Pharmacy Podcast Nation for taking this time to talk with us and give us updates from the CDC, as well as the career opportunities that are out there for our pharmacists. Dr. Jennifer Lind, thank you so much. And we hope to have you back and um, give us uh, additional updates. And like I said, you are welcome to use this platform to get information directly to our uh, pharmacist heroes. Thank you. I appreciate it.